Well, thank you for joining us for the online worship service. My name's Adam Groza, and I'm serving as teaching pastor at Church in the Valley, Alhambra. And whether you're a regular attender, regular viewer, or this is your first time, we're glad that you've joined us and have uh, tuned in for this online worship service. Now, last week, we began a new series in the book of Philippians in the New Testament. And the series is titled Celebration and Growth, which I think are the two things that Paul hopes to accomplish in the book of Philippians, both to the original audience and to us as a church in 2020. God wants us to celebrate his Savior, Jesus Christ, celebrate what he's done for us and the way he's working in our lives, and also to grow, to grow in faith and to grow in fruitfulness for Jesus. Now, last week we saw that the church is comprised of people who are committed to the gospel, to believing, to go- to believing the gospel and also to sharing the gospel and to living out the gospel. And the gospel is simply the good news about Jesus, that God will save anyone who's willing to turn from their sins and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. Now, if you agree with Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you agree with Paul and say, I am a sinner, and if you look to Christ to be an acceptable sacrifice for your sin, and if you trust in him alone, then by grace through faith, you are a part of God's family. You're a part of his people. And you need to find a local church that's committed to the gospel, committed to teaching God's word and committing to, committed to growing in godliness. And that's really what we want to be as a church. Just so you understand, if you are tuning into this video, this worship service, maybe for the first time, what you need to understand is that we are a church that is committed to growing in the gospel, growing in faith, growing in love, growing in obedience. So this morning, I want to build on that idea of partnership in the gospel and look at the promise of the gospel. That's the title for our message this week, the promise of the gospel. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So I would invite you to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, follow along as I read, and then I'll pray after we read God's word and begin the message. So, Follow along with me, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that in a world that is changing 
your word is settled in the heavens. Your word is unchanging because you, God, are unchanging. You are eternally God. You are eternally loving and gracious and holy. And Father, your covenant promises that are ours in Christ because of his death and resurrection are settled. And so we can be confident in the gospel. We can be confident in Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us that gospel confidence as we look at the promise of the gospel. Pray, Lord, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, convict us where we need to be convicted, and do your good work, God. We trust you by the Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's pretty clear from just our passage that Paul is writing to people whom he loves. He calls them saints in verse 1. If you just look at verse 1 of chapter 1, we didn't read this, but in verse 1, Paul calls them saints. He says to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And if, if you come from a background where maybe there's Catholicism in your family background or in your faith uh, journey at some point, there's a lot of confusion about this term saints. Oftentimes people are raised to think that saints are kind of super spiritual people that have worked miracles and only a few selective people achieve this status of sainthood. But in the Bible, the word saint refers to all Christians. All Christians who have trusted in Christ, who have been saved, are saints. That word, saints, literally means holy ones. It means that you have been set apart in Christ through faith in Christ. That when you trust in Jesus, you are set apart and you have now received God's mercy. So Paul is writing to a group of saints in Philippi who are committed to the gospel together. They're a local church just like we are a local church. And people that have trusted in Christ there were called saints, just like the Bible refers to those of us who have trusted in Christ as saints, as holy ones, as those who have been set apart through faith unto Christ. We belong to Christ. And we see Paul's affection for this group of saints in verse 8. Notice in verse 8, we read, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. What a timely verse for us in April 2020. Separated by a disease, a pandemic, unable to meet, restricted um, in our ability to gather. Um, and and we, we can identify with what Paul is saying here. This resonates with me. I hope it resonates with you. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul misses these saints as we miss each other. He was in a prison cell in Rome. They were in Philippi, hundreds of miles apart. We are separated in our homes, separated by distance, missing each other with the affection of Christ. The affection that one has for one's family. The word here for affection refers to an emotion that you feel deep within. And, and the point is that Paul feels deeply for 
these people. Christians feel deeply for each other. This is really an important verse. It gives us insight into how the church should be. A place where there is unity in the gospel and affection in Christ. A place where we miss each other. Where we long to be gathered. Where we long to be together. Where we feel deeply for each other. Because of our shared faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And and, and here's what's going on. When you feel deeply for someone, when you have affection for someone, you long to encourage them. You long to comfort them. And this is what Paul will go on to say in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. He talks about the encouragement in Christ and the comfort in Christ. I mean, this, this is just what you want to do for people towards whom you feel love and affection. You want to encourage them. You want to bless them. You want to put wind in their sails. You want to comfort them. But the challenge is, how do you do that when you're separated? How do you do that when you can only send words? How do you find encouragement and comfort when times are uncertain, when things are hard and life is unfamiliar? Well, this passage and these questions have so much bearing on our life right now, don't they? Where is there encouragement to be found in times of great trial. And really, our passage and the whole book of Philippians answers this question. And the answer for Paul and for us is that no matter what is going on in life, our encouragement is always to be found in Jesus, in the person and work of Jesus. So that no matter what is going wrong in your life or what you fear might go wrong in your life, or you might worry about what's around the corner in life, No matter what's around the corner, Christ will be with you. And in Christ is all the encouragement and comfort that we need. And so no matter what is going on, there is blessing to be had. There is encouragement. There's there's wind to push us forward in faith, to hope and to trust and to have courage no matter what. So our encouragement in Christ today is in the form of a promise. And really, the rest of the sermon will unfold in five parts. Uh, We're going to look at this promise, and we're going to see some things. It is a, a clear promise. It's a confident promise. It's a gracious promise. It's a fruitful promise. And it's a glorious promise. So we're going to look at this promise, but I'm going to move pretty quickly because I I don't want us to miss the key idea that the gospel comes with promise. And that promise, uh, the promise of the gospel is an encouragement to us during times of hardship. The gospel comes with a promise and that promise is an encouragement to us in times of hardship. So first, a clear promise. You can see this, I mean, just plain as day in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it 
to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so the promise is that Jesus Christ will not abandon us. He will not give up on us. He will not fail to do in us all that he has said he will do in us. In a different part of the Bible, in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, in John 6, 39, Jesus says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me and raise it up on the last day. Jesus says, I shall lose none of what the Father has given me. Jesus will not lose you. He will not abandon you because the triune God of the universe will not fail to accomplish all of his desires for the church. So you can put the full weight of your confident trust in Jesus. He will do all that he has promised according to the will of the Father based upon his work on the cross on our behalf and by the power of the Spirit. The Bible calls the Spirit a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So the Bible is in a constant chorus of assurance that Jesus will accomplish all that God has willed for those who trust in Christ. So don't miss the promise, because everything else that I'm going to say this morning is really just appreciating how great a promise this really is. But the promise is that Jesus has entered into a covenant relationship with us, sealed by his blood to save us. And he will not fail to save his church. He will not fail to save anyone who is willing to turn from their sins and trust in his death and resurrection. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, notice that the text says you, and I've been using the plural us. Well, why is that? In the text, it says he who began a good work in you. So it might be easy to sort of turn this into a real individual sort of thing. But actually, in the Greek, this is a plural pronoun. So if we were in this, one of the southern states in the United States, we would say uh, he who began a good work in you all or you all, you guys. And I, I looked this up, by the way. You all is Y apostrophe A-L-L. I, in my notes, did not know how to spell you all. So I learned something this week. But the promise is to us, it's to all of us, us as Christians, God's promise to his sheep. Look, whether you started trusting in Jesus as a, a young child or whether you started trusting in Jesus later in life, whether it's been a, a strong, consistent walk or kind of a, a rocky road, whatever your story, if you belong to Jesus through faith, Jesus will not abandon you. He will finish his work in you. This is incredibly comforting. The promise is clear and Paul is confident. I am sure of this. The promise is clear and Paul is confident. I am sure of this. There's very little in life that we can say I am sure of it. I mean, there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of predictions, a lot of probability. 
But Paul says you can be sure. He's sure. You can be sure. You can be certain. You can be absolutely confident that Jesus will not give up on us. If you belong to Jesus through faith, he will not let you go. He will not let you give up on him. He will finish his work in you. He will finish what he started. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus gives this tremendous prediction. And by the way, all of Jesus's predictions come true. If you read the Gospels, everything Jesus says will happen, happens. So you can have absolute confidence in Jesus. He is our great prophet, priest, and king. And he always tells the truth. And in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. No force in heaven or earth. Nothing will keep Jesus from accomplishing in us what he has promised to accomplish. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means that we should be encouraged. That's the whole point. People might abandon us. Jesus will never abandon us. People might let us down. Jesus will never let us down. An employer might let us go. But Jesus will never let us go. Jesus never downsizes his church. Jesus never has to part ways. If you belong to Jesus, then Jesus has given you his spirit as a guarantee. And as I say, the will of the Father, the work of Christ, the power of the Spirit, the triune God of the universe has set his seal on us in Christ. And Jesus will finish what he started in us. And so you can put all your confidence in Jesus. You can anchor your joy in Jesus. You can root your trust in Jesus and you will never be disappointed. You will never be disappointed if you trust in Jesus. So that's the promise. It is clear. It is confident. And it's also gracious. Notice that Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That's in verse 7. So in verse 7, Paul tells us that this clear, confident promise is also based on God's grace. It's not based on our merit. It's not based on our earning it in the beginning or earning it to keep it. It is entirely based on the person and work of Jesus. Now, I want to say something about this idea of Paul's defense of the gospel in verse 7. Paul talks a lot about his defense of the gospel. He talks about it here in verse 6. He talks about it later on in verse 16. And he also talks a lot about being imprisoned. In verse 7, he talks about being imprisoned. In verse 13, in, verses four, in verse 14, he talks about being imprisoned. And there's this idea throughout the book of Philippians that Christians need to declare and be ready to defend the faith that we receive in God's word. And just like the apostles, when we declare and when we defend the faith, we should expect opposition to our declaration 
defense and faithful living out of the gospel. In, in modern Christianity, there is this misguided notion that Jesus, following Jesus, believing in Jesus somehow results in, in riches and an easy life. And, and I mean, that can only be believed by someone who completely ignores the suffering of Jesus and Paul and all of the rest of the apostles who suffered greatly, even giving their life for their faith in Christ. Look, the Bible teaches very clearly that salvation is a free gift. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light in the sense that Jesus does all the work for you to be saved. He did it on the cross. He did it by coming out of the the grave. And so salvation is a free gift. But as the 20th century German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, salvation, God's grace is free, but it is costly. There is a cost to sharing There is a personal cost to defending. There is a personal cost to faithfulness to God's word, to living out our faith. So as we talk about celebrating what God has done and desiring to grow in our faithfulness to God's word, we should anticipate, as Paul is honest about and models, that there is a personal price to declaring and defending and living faithfully according to God's word. But the promise that we're looking at this morning is not based on our work. This is, again, very encouraging. It's based on God's grace. We are partakers of grace. Our fellowship is one of grace, not works. The Reformers put it this way. We're saved by grace alone, sola gratia. We are saved not by our works, but by grace alone. How sweet. I mean, this is so absolutely sweet to have the promise of Jesus to save us completely from beginning to end by grace. Not by what we've earned, but on his gracious decision to take our sins and to give us his righteousness. So salvation is not part grace, part works. It is all of grace. It is all of faith in Christ to the glory of God. So this promise is clear. There's confidence. It's based on grace. And it's also a fruitful promise. The promise of Christ, the promise that Christ saves us by grace and then he finishes his work in us by grace, the promise of Christ to take our sins and to deliver us on that day and to glorify us along with himself in a new kingdom and a new heavens and a new earth. All the promises of scripture are by grace, but they result in life transformation. So the promise of the gospel is clear and it's confident and it's gracious, but it's also fruitful. Changes the way we live. Notice that Paul in our passage talks about what this looks like. Look in verse uh, 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Sometimes we don't know what to pray. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You know, I'm I'm a parent. I have four children. My children are 9, 11, 13, and about to be 15. And, you know, uh, like a lot of you, you know, I, I, I spend time in, in, in the morning reading God's word and praying for my wife and my children. And sometimes I, I struggle to know what to pray. And one of the best things to do is to pray what the scripture says, to pray the scripture. And this is a great scripture to pray for people you love, people in the church, people that you know from previous life situations that are seeking to follow Christ, you can pray that they would be fruitful in the gospel. Because this is what the gospel does when we believe it. Fruit is born out in our life. Fruit of righteousness, which is what Paul calls it in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And so this is what this is what God does in our life. He brings about I'm just going to list these abounding love, knowledge, discernment, moral purity and holiness or, or blamelessness. Now, when you read that list, when you read about love and knowledge, discernment, moral purity and holiness, you should identify that these are things that describe God. These are things that describe God. And you know, he is he is loving. He is love. He possesses all knowledge. He is totally discerning and totally wise and totally pure and totally blameless and totally holy. And, and so here's the logic of this passage. As we as we trust in Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. We receive God's spirit and God's spirit transforms us by faith And as we grow in our faith, we start to look more and more like our heavenly father. We never are in this life made perfect. We're always going to struggle with sin. But we grow more and more to, in our character, reflect the character of our heavenly father. And so this passage is really holding out hope that God will make us fruitful in ways that he is fruitful. He will conform our character to be like his character. As we follow Christ, our big brother, our savior, we are conformed more to the image of the father. So the good news is that we celebrate the promise and we long to grow in the result of Jesus's saving work in our lives. Since Jesus won't let us go, we want to grow in him. So it's a clear promise, a confident promise, a gracious promise, a fruitful promise. And lastly, number five, it's a glorious promise. Did you notice that Paul talks about uh, the praise and glory of God at the end of verse 11 to the glory and praise of God? And Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, that Jesus will bring about our salvation to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Do you see that in verse 6? At the day of Christ Jesus. And then he mentions again in verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And there's so much we don't know about 
the final day, how it's all going to work out. And Christians, you know, sort of disagree about how this all unfolds. But what I want you to understand is that there is an end to the story. There is a day when we will be united with Christ, when Christ will come back and the world will give an account. And this will be a glorious day, a great day, the best day for those who have put their faith in Jesus. Let me read from Ephesians 5:27. It says Jesus will present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless. Remember, the promise is that Jesus will finish what he started and Paul in Ephesians says on that day we the church will be presented to Christ as his bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and blameless. On that day, all that God has willed to do in those who trust in Jesus will be brought to completion. That's the promise. It's a glorious promise. On that day, on that day. I don't know if you've ever had a day in life that you really look forward to. Uh, if, you've, if, you, if you've been married, I mean, you look forward to your wedding day. Um, in life, we tend to look forward to vacation days. Maybe there's a concert you're going to. You look forward to that day or a baseball game. Something's on your calendar that you're looking forward to. And it just, just to get encouragement in life, you just have to look at it on the calendar And even though you might have meetings and reports and a lot to do, you can just look at what's on the calendar at some future date and just instantly be encouraged. And look, I don't know when this day obviously is going to happen. No human knows when it's going to happen. God knows. But I know that it's on the calendar for every believer. There will be a day when we are together, united with Christ, without spot or wrinkle, totally blameless and pure. Our fight against sin and death will be over and we will be clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. We will be literally physically transformed to be like Christ with resurrected bodies fit for eternity. All will be made right. And so, brothers and sisters, the Bible invites us to look forward to that day and the promise is that that day will happen we've read the end and jesus will gather us to himself he will finish what he started revelation 19 9 gives a little bit more detail it says blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and in revelation 19 it describes this day It describes what Paul is saying in Philippians is going to happen. And this is how it describes it. It says, On that day the voice of a great multitude will sound like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has Come, And his bride has made herself ready. 
and it was granted her to clothe herself herself with linen bright and pure. That's Revelation 19, verses 6 through 8. Look, the Bible tells us how the story ends. It tells us where history is headed. History is headed towards a day when Christ returns and Christ reigns and Christ gathers those who have put their faith in him and he transforms us ultimately and finally for eternity and we will inherit eternal life because of what he has accomplished. And even though we have eternal life right now through faith, we still struggle with sin, but on that day, that struggle will cease. And we still go through physical death, but on that day with resurrected bodies, we will be resurrected never to die again. And so, look, this is a promise that should encourage us. It is clear. It is confident. It is gracious. It is fruitful. And it is glorious. So what all of this means is that this morning, whether you're alone or with your family, whatever's going on financially, politically, socially, whatever's going on with with reopening society, here's what we know. There is hope for our souls. There's encouragement for our hearts. There is so much to look forward to as Christians. And I'm not confident in our political systems. I'm not confident about a lot of things, but I am confident in what our passage today tells us to be confident in. And that is this, that Jesus Christ will finish what he started. He will bring about the total fulfillment of all his promises. And on that day, we all things will be made right. We will be transformed to be like him. So our job is to keep trusting him. Our job is to ready ourselves by trusting in his work and in his promises. Our job is to cling to the fellowship of the gospel and to the fellowship of grace and to preach the gospel to ourselves and to each other and to encourage each other that whatever else is on your calendar, there is a day so good, so perfect that will go on into eternity when Christ will once and for all finish his work in our lives. That he began the day you decided to trust in him. On that day you received his spirit. Let me just encourage you, if you have lived your life and not yet done that, would you please do that now? Because in order to be a part of that great and glorious day, you have to make a decision in this life to acknowledge your sin and to admit that you cannot save yourself. You can't right the wrongs of your sin. You can't pay the price for your own sin. Only Jesus, God in the flesh, can pay the price for our sins. And he did that on the cross. And if we will look to him and trust him, he will save us by faith alone. So I would encourage you to do that. And if you have done that, then let me encourage you with the promise of this passage. Jesus will finish what he started. Let me close us in prayer.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this promise. It's so encouraging. God, I I pray that we would just feast on this promise throughout the week. Just go back again and again. And just remember that Jesus has promised to finish what he started and he will do it. And there is a day coming where we will be united with him and we will be made like him and we will inherit eternal life and our struggle with sin and death will end because Christ defeated the grave when he rose from the dead on the third day. So, Father, encourage us, give us faith to believe, give us confidence to follow, give us boldness to declare, give us endurance when we face opposition, and, Father, help us to cling to the promise of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.